This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. And what we'd like to talk to you about is making your life count. And that's so important that we can make our life count. And we, we can do that if we choose to do so. Every day, your heart gives a little beat. You know, that's pretty exciting. <laughs> I think it's pretty good to keep feeling it beating, don't you think? Yep. Okay. But it does it 104,178 times uh. in one day. Your blood travels 171,000 miles just in one day. You're, you breathe 23,172 times, inhaling 438 cubic feet of air. You move 752 major muscles, and you exercise 8 million brain cells. 8 million. And some of us owe less than that. <laughs> we do this every day. I wonder I'm so tired by the end of the day. Yeah, me you too. Know, how do you think about that? So how good is it that God above has never gone on strike? Because he was not treated fair in things he didn't like. Hmm. If only once he'd given up and said, that's it. I'm through. I've had enough of those on earth. So this is what I'll do. I'll give my orders to the sun, cut off the heat supply, and to the moon, give no more light and run the oceans dry. Then just to make things really tough and put the pressure on, turn off the vital oxygen till every breath is gone. You know, he would be justified if fairness was the game, for no one has been more abused or met with more disdain. Thank God, and yet he carries on supplying you and me with all the favor of his grace and everything for free. Men say they want a better deal, and so on strike they go. But what a deal we've given God to whom all things we owe. We don't care whom we hurt to gain the things we like, but what a mess we'd all be in if God would go on strike. It's true. You know what? If you think about that, and God would stop sending his blessings of all the kinds of blessings he sends our way, but he doesn't. He continues to provide everything that we have need of just because he loves us and he cares for us the way we are. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, Even while we were with you, we gave you this rule. Whoever does not work should not eat. You ever heard that one before? Mm -hmm. It's getting close to eating time right now. <laughs> Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and wasting time meddling in other people's business. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people, no, we command them, settle down and get to work. 
earn your own living. And I say to the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but speak to them as you would to a Christian who needs to be warned. Richard Baxter said, choose that employment or calling in which you may be most serviceable to God. Choose not that in which you may be most rich or honorable in the world, but that in which you may be the most good and best escape sinning. Hmm. How do you like the idea of escape, escaping sin? There was a wealthy nobleman in Italy who had grown tired of life. He had everything one could wish for except happiness and contentment. He says, I am weary of life and I'll go to the river and end my life. As he walked along, he felt a little hand tugging at his trousers. And looking down, he saw a frail, hungry little boy who pleaded, there are six of us. We are dying for lack of food. The nobleman thought, well, why should I not relieve their this wretched family. I have the means. Following the boy, he entered a scene of misery, sickness and want. He opened his wallet and emptied all its contents saying, I'll return tomorrow and I will share with you more of the good things which God has given to me in abundance. He left the scene of want and wretchedness, rejoicing with no thought of ending his life anymore. He chose indeed instead to make his life count. And I would like to just ask that question, do we, do we understand that word? You know, how does it relate to us? Do we make our life count? You know, just by a little encouragement, a little something in someone's way, do we make our life count? It is a choice. It is a choice that we will have to constantly make. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, in the Message Bible, it says, But you, keep your eye on what you're doing. Accept the hard, difficult times along with the good. Keep the message alive. The New Living Translation says, Work at bringing others to Christ. Do a thorough job as God's servant. Complete the ministry God has given you. Are you making your life count? I mean, on purpose. Mm -hmm. Do we think about, hey, I could do such and such and really make my life count. I could spend some time with this little kid and make my life count. That's right. I could teach them this or teach them that or this person or that, and we can make our life count with a really a small investment of our ourselves in reality. In every encounter, we either drain life or we give life. Mm. Which are you doing? Are you draining life from those mm. around you or are you giving life to those around you? In the 1920s, the sociology 
class at John Hopkins University made a study of children in deprived neighborhoods in Baltimore. They identified 200 children who appeared doomed to spend years in prison. After 25 years, another study was made to discover what had happened to those particular children. Surprisingly, only two out of the 200 had been incarcerated. As these men and women were interviewed over and over again, came the name of their teacher, Aunt Hannah. The sociologists were correct in their predictions. By all indication, the children would be dregs of society, but there was an intervention. Aunt Hannah, an elementary school teacher who loved them. Aunt Hannah, she made her life count. And think about that. How can we make our life count? To someone who is not necessarily officially tied to us somehow, you know, as a family member and all, but how can we make our life count like Aunt Hannah did, you know? She took those opportunities to influence those kids. You're right. And it made a huge difference. And she made her life count. For the dedicated Christians, life's primary vocation is ministry. Ministry simply means to serve. To view our workplace as a ministry post, our pulpits are our desk, our cars, our classrooms, our kitchens, seeing oneself as a toolmaker, homemaker, school teacher, or a professional person who just happens to be a Christian is fundamentally different from seeing oneself primarily as a Christian who happens to be a secretary, salesperson, or accountant who makes their lives count. Lots of people who should be positively influenced toward Christ in every setting where Christians are found working. You may say, I really can't do that much. You know, it's, it's easy to say it. Well, I really can't do that much. And that may be so. But what can you do that counts? If it's not even much, but you can do something that counts. And it, it makes a difference in other people's lives. A honeybee lives only about six weeks, 42 days. That's 1,008 hours. It works the whole time. In its lifetime, a honeybee will make one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. And me and Susan was trying to figure that out. That's <clears throat> a teaspoon last night. And a teaspoon is not a whole lot. And one-twelfth of a teaspoon is a whole lot less than that, you know? That makes us appreciate our old jar of honey, you know, a whole lot more when you see how many honeybees' lives. How many of them gave their life to make that little jar of honey? They made their life count. They surely did. They surely did. Mark chapter 14, verse 8 says, She did what she could when she could. She pre-anointed my body for burial. You know, what she did counted. You know, she made a difference. And you can be sure that Wherever in the whole world <clears throat> the message is preached, what she 
just did is going to be talked about admiringly, doing what you can. You know, that does get God's attention. Would you like to get God's attention? Yes. Well, do what you can to make a difference in some person's life and get God's attention. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul said, My dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. It counts. It makes a difference. Always enthusiastic about what the Lord's work. Are you enthusiastic about the Lord's work? And his work can be a lot of different areas. Can. You can be in the music and all the facets of a church service. You know, there's so many things we can be doing to encourage people. Always enthusiastic about the Lord's work. Abounding. Doing more than your share. Going beyond what's really required of us. Not just what's required, but going beyond that. And uh, Psalms 90, verse 17, it says, And may the Lord our God show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, comma, make our efforts successful. Who is the one who makes our efforts successful? God is. And may the Lord our God Show us his approval and make our efforts successful. Yes, make our efforts successful. God can do that. Sounds like a, a good way to pray, to ask really, him. Really should be. And asking God, as I begin my day, make my efforts successful. When I'm talking to people, passing along throughout the, the day, help my efforts to become successful. Pretty powerful statement. Matthew 25 verse 23, and the master said, well done my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. You made a difference in the little things he was saying. So now I will give you more responsibilities. I know you'll make a difference in the bigger things. Let's celebrate together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 says, work hard. So when you do something for God, work hard. Mm -hmm. And cheerfully. Be cheerful, work hard, and cheerfully. Those are two ingredients that we need to remember when you're doing something for God. Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 and 12, it says, never be lazy, you know, or idle. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically, excited, passionate, willingly, active, eagerly. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be glad for all God is planning for you. Be patient in trouble and always prayerful because prayer makes a difference. It genuinely does. Does anybody here pray on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Has God ever answered your prayers? He surely does all the time. You know, prayer makes a difference. And when you pray, it really does count. Uh, verse 24 says, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you are serving is Christ. So what we're learning from these scriptures is that it's not just what we do, but it's how we do it. The attitude that we have towards the work, towards making our life count. Yep. That is important as well. There was a fascinating letter in a psychology magazine. Dr. Robert Healy, a psychotherapist, which is a counselor, wrote of a patient of his, a young man who had come to him for therapy after having changed his mind about committing suicide. It seems that this young man planned to jump off a bridge in his town when something strange happened. While driving his car to the bridge, he stopped at a traffic light. Looking toward the sidewalk, he spotted an elderly woman who was smiling at him. The light changed and he drove on, but the memory of her kindly face stayed with him. Later, he told the psychologist, her smile made me think that perhaps life wasn't so bad after all. Nothing dramatic, just an old woman with a pleasant expression on her face, but the effect it had on this man was life-changing. One life touched another life, and a life was changed. Now, this is, was this a major act of influence? No, a very small one. But think of the implications. A young man decides not to commit suicide. Does it stop there? No. Since that man has decided to live, he will touch other lives. Notice that his therapist wrote a letter to a national magazine read by millions of people. You and I now know about that experience. It may affect our own actions. We might smile at someone today because we now know about his experience. Suppose that young man who decided not to commit suicide has children and one of them performs some significant act. Maybe one of his offspring will find the ultimate cure for cancer. Who knows what might come out of the experience of an old woman smiling at a passerby she doesn't even know. Can a smile really do that? Yes, it can. Maybe you know the story of inspirational speaker W. Mitchell, a remarkable man who has spoken to tens of thousands of people around the world. If you aren't familiar with Mitchell, he speaks from a wheelchair. He was in a motorcycle accident that left him with disfiguring burns over most of his body, including his face. Later, he was in an airplane crash that cost him the use of his legs. Mitchell says that after the motorcycle accident, the most difficult adjustment he had to make was dealing with people who refused to look at him because of the appearance of his face. This was more crushing than the accident itself. But then he said, one day a woman not only looked at him, she smiled. And Mitchell says, that smile changed my life. Can a smile do that? You bet it can. Now Mitchell delivers his inspiring message to large audiences all over the world. And in those audiences, young men and young women are touched in a life-changing way. 
the ripples of influence go on and on. A nameless widow, she made a difference. And a financial, you know, advancement of God's kingdom. Can you make a contribution? Maybe two bucks, maybe five bucks. Does that make a difference Mm -hmm. on the mission field where people have so little? You know, well, what we have and what we do and what we can say, we can really make a difference, you know, and we can inspire thousands of people and we can invest in God's kingdom. Luke chapter 21, verse 1, it says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people putting their gifts into the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two pennies. I wanted, do I still have those? You should have. I had two pennies in my pocket last night when I got to church. And when I reached in my pocket to show them, they were gone. I don't know where they went to. But somebody came, I was telling that this morning at the last service, and somebody came up here and gave me two pennies. How about that? Mm -hmm. Can two pennies really make a difference? Yes. It really could. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's lots of ways you can think about it. But two cents is all that this woman had. It said, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people putting their gifts into the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two pennies. Jesus said, I assure you, he said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. You know, she had done what she could, and it really made her life count. Jesus said she gave more than all the other people who were given Mm -hmm. because she gave all that she had. Other people gave a chunk, but they only gave a tiny portion of what they had. And you think about that, a woman like that, Jesus said she gave more than all of them by putting two pennies in there. So we can do a whole lot more than we really recognize, you know. God wants, you know, us, you know, to to work. He he wants to work through people. Now, are all these people here, are they really people? Yes, they are. How many of you here are people, for sure? And you know that. There's more people here than there were at the other service. We only had three people there. Raise their hands. That's right. Maybe aliens? I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know what? I mean, God will use every man and every woman and every boy and every girl. He genuinely will. Let me see here. What kind of people does God choose to use? Does he use old people Mm -hmm. for real? Yes. Does he use young people? Yes. Does he use talented people? Mm -hmm. You know, what about people who have very, you know, limitations, much limitations, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, if we're willing, God will use anybody who's willing and available. That's what he wants to do in each of our lives. There was a little nameless girl in the Bible who made a difference 
in the life of a man named Naaman. And that story is in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It says, The king of Aram had high admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Now, groups of Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. She was a slave. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Hmm. So Naaman told the king about what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to carry to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out taking as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. She did what she could, <clears throat> and it counted, and it made a difference. Naaman was healed of his leprosy. That's right. Now, here's a little poem that I learned, I don't know how many years ago. Pretty powerful little poem. It says, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. The things that we do for Christ really last. Mm -hmm. And we've only got one life here on this planet. That's right. And only what we do for Christ. And think about what we did for Christ yesterday. Think about what we are doing for him today. Think about what we're doing for him tomorrow. You know, that's what really makes the difference. That's what counts. It really is. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10 says, I wanted anything I wanted, anything I wanted, I took. I did not restrain myself from any joy. I even found great pleasure in hard work an additional reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Nothing really counted. Nothing really made a difference, you know? It's easy to make a buck. A buck is a dollar. It's easy to make a buck. It's a lot tougher to make a difference. Do we really put ourselves out to make a difference in someone else's life? Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says, Don't store up treasure here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20 says, store your treasure in heaven. That counts. You know, that really makes a difference when you store your, your treasure in heaven where they can never become moth-eaten or rusty and where there will be safety from thieves. Matthew chapter 6 verse 31 says, so don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Verse 32 says, why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. 
and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him. That's the condition if you really live for him. And it's really important to keep the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what it says there. It says, he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. That means that, first. That means first. That means the main thing. Mm -hmm. You keep the main thing, you know, the main thing. That's very important for us because it's really easy that the main thing stops becoming the main thing. We get distracted. Do you guys ever get distracted? Do you get distracted? I do. I think we were just talking about that yesterday, weren't we? We were. It's we were. easy to get distracted if you're not too careful. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is useless. Is, is the Lord building your house? Are we really, you know, advocating that, hey, this is God's house. And we want him to use this house in a way that honors him, you know? Is God building your life? Think about that, you know? Is God building the relationships that you have with other people? Think about that. Are you making your life count by giving it to Almighty God? And he really does make a difference with it. It goes on to say, unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. Hmm. This is a great story. It says, the other day, someone at a store in our town read that a methamphetamine lab had been found in an old farmhouse in the adjoining county. And he asked me a rhetorical question. Why didn't we have a drug problem when you and I were growing up? I replied, but I did have a drug problem when I was a kid growing up on the farm. Hmm. I had a drug problem when I was young. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning. Do you have a drug problem? I was drugged to church for weddings and for funerals. I was drugged to family reunions and community socials, no matter the weather. I was drugged by my ears when I was disrespectful to adults. I was also drugged to the woodshed when I disobeyed my parents, told a lie, brought home a bad report card, did not speak with respect, spoke ill of the teacher or the preacher. Or if I didn't put forth my best effort in everything that was asked of me, I was drugged to the kitchen sink to have my mouth washed out with soap if I uttered a profane four-letter word. Can we just ask a question here? Has anybody honest to goodness ever had their mouth washed out with soap? Wow, we're amongst friends. <laughs> Thank you for raising your hand. So you had a drug problem too. <laughs> drug to the kitchen. Good for you. I was drug out to pull weeds in my mom's garden and flower beds and cockle burrows out of my dad's fields. I was drug to the homes of family friends and neighbors to help out some poor soul who had no one to mow their lawn, repair the clothesline, or chop some firewood. 
And if my mother had ever known that I took one single dime as a tip for those kindnesses, she would have drugged me, drugged me back to the woodshed again. Those drugs are still in my veins. And they affect my behavior in everything I do, say, and think. They are stronger than cocaine, crack, or heroin. And I'm thankful to my parents for working with me through my drug problem. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Think about that. What else can you do with salt? Nothing. You know? But are there other things you can do with salt if it's good? If it's good, yeah. I mean, it flavors food. Yeah, it preserves also. It preserves and all that. But if salt loses its power, it really becomes worthless. Mm -hmm. He says, can you make it useful again? No. And the answer to that is no, you can't. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless, you know, making no difference because it really won't count. It just really don't. It's just like sand. That's what it is. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. And you make a difference. You make a difference. And that's what salt is supposed to do. It's supposed to make a difference. And he says, don't hide your light under a basket. It, it won't count. If you're hiding it there, you know, it really makes no difference. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds, your works, shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Your good deeds count. We see that over and over and over throughout the Bible mm -hmm. that God, he lets us know that our good deeds count. And they may be very small, but it counts because it really genuinely makes a difference. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. For the eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Good counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put into action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be fine and true, very fine and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Howard Hendricks said, My home knew little of God's love, and I can still remember coming out of it. Entering into my own marriage, I prayed, Oh God, I don't know what my kids will remember me for. I don't really care if they ever remember me as a well-known preacher or professor or writer. All I cry to you for, Lord, is that you will help them to remember me as a father who loved them. 
I might never have been saved if someone hadn't said it with love to me. I was nine years old, a little terror. I was out playing marbles one day when a man named Walt came along and invited me to Sunday school. There was nothing appealing to me about anything with the word school in it. So he made me another proposition, one I liked a lot better. Want to play a game of marbles with me, he asked. After he'd wiped me out in a couple games of marbles, he inquired, want to learn how to play this game better? By the time he taught me how to play marbles over the next few days, he'd built such a relationship with me that I'd have gone anywhere, he suggested. You know what that meant. I ended up in his Sunday school class with a dozen other boys, most of whom he magnetized in very much the same way. Of the 13 boys in that class, nine were from broken homes and five were Roman Catholics. Eleven of those boys ended up in vocational Christian work. Thank God for a man like Walt who said it with love. Mm -hmm. So he's telling us here, when you say something today, tomorrow, the next day, when you say something, say it with love. Mm -hmm. That's what he's talking about. And when you do something for somebody, do it with love. So it can be felt, it can be perceived, it can be seen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 says salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God, no good works, and you think about this, good works can they save us? No. They really can't. But good works always accompany salvation. Mm -hmm. When you have been forgiven by Almighty God and we've been saved, we're going to allow good works to radiate from our own lives mm -hmm. because what he has already done for us. John chapter 9, verse 4 says, All of us must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us, because there is little time left before the night falls and all work comes to an end. Did, so, you, did you hear that? I did. What, what is it talking about? I'll explain that. All of us must quickly carry <laughs> out the task assigned us by the one who sent me, because there is little time and this is written in red letters. Jesus is saying this mm -hmm. because there is little time left before the night falls and all work comes to an end. I mean, that's pretty simple mm -hmm. what he's telling us here, that we have little time left. Oh, we might think we got all the time in the world. Mm -hmm. But he says because there is little time left because the night falls and all work comes to an end. As we read that, you know, there's some words that stand out there. It, it says all of us must quickly, quickly, not just wait till tomorrow, not just wait till next week. It says Carry quickly. out the task that's been assigned to us. You're Each right. of us has tasks that God would have us to do. Yep. So not just people that are in full-time ministry, everybody. 
yeah. has task. It says, because there's little time left. Again, there's an urgency there before the night falls and all, works come, all work comes to an end. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, work as if everything depended on your work and pray as if everything depended on your prayer. Do, do we pray like everything depends on our prayer? When you think about it, every day, all of us here, do we pray like, you know what, our prayer really makes a difference? It does. It counts. It does. It makes a huge difference. And all the other things that we do, you know, when we work and we're touching people's lives, it does count as well. And we find out one of the things that Christ tells us to pray for in Matthew chapter 9 he tells us that the fields are white to harvest. Now, when the, when the fields are ready to harvest, do we say, no, nah, I'm going to wait till next month to harvest? If we do that, we're going to lose the harvest. And he tells us the laborers are few. The laborers are few. And he says, pray for laborers. Pray for more laborers because there's not enough laborers to gather in the harvest that's out there ready. And there's a great harvest. There's laborers right here. There are laborers. We are the laborers. Who can encourage others toward Christ. It says to work at bringing others to Christ. We're the laborers that are to do that. And we need to pray for other laborers as well. You know, if you have family members that you've been praying for and you've been planting seeds, you know, in their lives forever, just hoping that they'll come to know Christ as their Savior, you know, this is something that you need to do. You need to pray for laborers that would come across their path. You need to, I've added a, an adjective to that word laborers. Pray for effective laborers. Because sometimes there's laborers that aren't so effective. You know, they can come down in a, a condemning way or whatever. But we need to pray for effective laborers. The scripture says that those who win souls are wise. You know, we need to be wise laborers using wisdom and knowing how to lead others to Christ. He tells us, how we can be most effective mm -hmm. as we do labor. He says here, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, he says, if you keep yourself pure. If? That's what it says. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil God can use for his purpose. There are some utensils in my kitchen that I would not use right now. I think you should throw them away. No, I just need to wash them. <laughs> oh, how They're about dirty. that? They're just dirty, and I need to wash them. And then they will be ready for me to use. So does Almighty God, does he wash us? He does. He tells us if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin. He wants to cleanse us. He wants us to be pure so we can be a tool in his hand. That's right. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil God can use for his purpose. Your, your life will count now. Your life is going to make a difference if you keep it clean. And we need to recognize that. In this world we live with all the things that are available to us in books and all the things that are available in the movies and on television and all. And it's social not all, media. It's not all pure. That's right and tries its best to contaminate us. It really does. And we just give God our heart and give him our mind, you know, and let God rejuvenate ourselves because he loves us and he cares for us and he empowers us. If you keep yourself pure, you will be. You will be a utensil 
God can use for his purpose, you know. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Hmm. How about that? That's awesome. Verse 22 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Follow anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So we need to hang around with people that are keeping themselves pure also. That's what he says. He really does. And this right here, these passages that we read here today, it's just something very practical that God has for us so he can empower our lives and we'll you know, become a partner with him and join him and just changing the world in which we live. That's just the truth of it. Making our lives count. You do. That's what he wants to do. He, he purchased us for a reason. Yep. Not just to sit back on our couches and do nothing. He purchased right. us for a reason, that he would use our lives for his purpose. And he wants us to make our lives count. And there's nothing more rewarding than doing that. Well, why don't we right now, why don't we just give our lives, you know, as we're launching out into a new year, why don't we just give the rest of our life, this coming year, and the, the time we have this year, let's just give all that to Christ. And let him use it and ask him to bless it and to keep it pure and to keep us holy. So could you lead us in a prayer? Yes, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father, I believe, I believe that you love me, that you love me so much, so much that you sent your son Jesus, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, to die on the cross for my sins, for my sins, to pay for them in full, to pay for them in full, to make me clean, to make me clean, to remove the guilt, to remove the guilt, to remove the shame. To remove the shame. That you could use my life. You could use my life. For your plans. For your plans. Much better than my plans. Much better than my plans. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. That you not only sent Jesus. That you not only sent Jesus. To die for my sins. To die for my sins. But you raised him from the dead. But you raised him from the dead. To give me a new life. To give me a new life. A resurrected life. A resurrected life. So I could live for you. So I could live for you. That my life could make a difference. That my life could make a difference. That my life will count. That my life will count. Thank you. Thank you. For calling me as your own. For calling me as your own. I yield it all to you, Lord. I yield it all to you, Lord. 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 Use me. Use me. Today. Today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 